You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hi, Spot On listeners. Dr. Joan Salji-Blake here. We are about to start a brand new episode on what is the Dope about dopamine. And I have a wonderful guest. We will be starting any second. So buckle up and get ready. Hi, Spot On listeners. I'm back. I told you I'd be bringing the guru with me. And I have uh, everything I need to talk about this fabulous topic. The name of this episode is What is the Dope on Dopamine? And I've got the person with me who is an expert. She is Dr. Anna Limke, and she is a professor of psychiatric at Stanford University. She has published so many articles, and she's an expert on addiction. And she wrote this book. Uh, it is called Dopamine Nation. And I'm going to tell you, I did not read the book. Rather, I listened to the book on audio and she has got one calming voice. So, so with that, Dr. Anna, welcome to Spot On. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. All right. I want to tell you why, how this all came about. So I teach at Boston University and, and one of my students said to me, oh, when I go on TikTok, I have to put a timer on. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, I have to put a timer on. Otherwise, like I have to put like a 45 minute timer on. Otherwise I'll be on there for hours. And I went, what? And then you come along with this fabulous book, Dopamine Nation. And I'm reading this and saying, okay, we have an issue out there. I'm getting this woman on spot on. So Let's talk about this because this is amazing. You're going to tie in what my poor student does with TikTok and dopamine. So really, well, first of all, what is dopamine? Dopamine is a chemical that we make inside our brains. It's a neurotransmitter and neurotransmitters are the chemicals that bridge the gap between neurons. So neurons send these electrical circuits uh, through the brain that make, you know, make us who we are. But neurons, interestingly, don't touch end to end. There's a little gap called the synapse. And that gap is bridged by chemicals called neurotransmitters. And dopamine is one of those neurotransmitters. And it's the most important neurotransmitter for the experience of pleasure, reward, and motivation. It's not the only neurotransmitter involved in that process, but it is the final common pathway for all reinforcing drugs and behaviors. Right. Hence, there it is. That's the whole episode. We could probably just end <laughs> here because that is the whole thing. And, and when I read or I listened to the book and I, I heard about this, you know, it's all about dopamine. And, and, and can you tell us, I'm going to get into this and this whole reward pathway, but can you tell us uh, when I listened to the book, you had this fabulous story about how you were addicted to Twilight book series for vampires. So could you explain all this and what got you into the right, write this book, Dopamine Nation, and thank goodness you did. So I thought that I was immune to the problem of addiction. I had never really had any kind of positive reaction to alcohol or, um, you know, even caffeine doesn't wake me up. So I just assumed that that 
that addiction gene was not one that I had. But in my early 40s, I read The Twilight Saga, which is a vampire romance series written for teenagers. So I was a little embarrassed to be reading it in the first place, but I was completely transported by it. It just took me to another world, allowed me to escape from my own life. And by the way, my own life was pretty good. There was not anything particular that needed escaping from, but uh, nonetheless, I found the novels transportative. And uh, that essentially led me down this very long uh, pathway of reading more and more romance novels. When I finished all the vampire novels, I moved on to werewolves and then necromancers, soothsayers, gem workers. Um, And over time, I noticed that I needed more and more potent sex scenes to get the same effect. Pretty soon I was uh, reading Frank Erotica. I found myself up uh, till three in the morning at one point reading Fifty Shades of Grey. And when I got to the chapter on butt plugs, I actually thought to myself, how did I get here? I'm not even really interested in these kinds of sex scenes, but somehow I had gone, progressed over the course of a couple of years from Twilight to, um, you know, um, Frank Erotica. And also it was really beginning to be problematic in my life. I found I was reading instead of spending time with my husband, instead of focusing on my children. At one point, I even brought a romance novel to work and in the 10 minutes between patients, whipped it out and just want, didn't want to be in the real world, wanted to be in this fantasy land. Um, and, and so I, I characterized the, those two years as my romance novel addiction. And I really do think it was an addiction. It was a minor addiction, you know, not to trivialize the severe and life-threatening addictions of my patients, but I fell into it without realizing it, even though I'm an addiction specialist. It was largely facilitated and made possible by two things. Um, The technology of an e-reader, which allowed me to instantly start another book. As soon as I finished uh, the first one, I became a chain reader, in other words. And also uh, the growing number and potency of novels out there and the way that even reading has become drugified in that uh, chapters now end on a cliffhanger. You know, you can't finish it without desperately feeling the need to go on to the next. Um, And there's just so many books out there that, uh, you know, you you never run out. It's like the bottomless bowls of social media. You you never get to the end. Right. You know, Dr. Anna, that's so intriguing because when you think of addiction, you think of alcohol, you think of drugs uh, and social media. But so when you were reading this, is this is the whole, was there like a dopamine hit you got that every time you read this and that's why you kept reading it? So is it all go back to this dopamine addiction or Give, give us an idea here. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we are evolved over millions of years of evolution to approach pleasure and avoid pain. We do that reflexively. We don't need to think about it or plan it. It just happens. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter that mediates this experience of pleasure, reward, and motivation. Mm-hmm. And so we feel good uh, when dopamine is released and that makes us want to do that behavior again and again. And of course, that's very adaptive in a world of scarcity an ever-present danger where we need to continue to seek out food, clothing, shelter, and mates in order to survive. It's not very adaptive in a world of plenty uh, where these all of these kinds of uh, basic rewards have been drugified, made more potent, more intoxicating, more ubiquitous, more varied. Um, so yeah, so for me, what I experienced was a very positive rush, a dopamine hit, uh, which felt really good, which transported me out of my present reality, allowed me to escape my own thoughts, my own body, experience non-being, which I think is a fundamental human need, especially in a world like ours today when we're so focused on the individual, 
an individual achievement in this kind of chronic uh, narcissistic way that I think we're in even more need of escaping ourselves paradoxically uh, than, than maybe in past generations. You, you refer to that as the hedonic dysfunction where it, it sort of, you need more and more of it to get the rush or to get that pleasure. Right. Do I have that right? That's right. And over time, all the way that the brain compensates to, uh, for all these dopamine rushes is that it essentially stops making dopamine, downregulates mm. dopamine receptors, and then we go into a dopamine deficit state. So when, when that happens, we've essentially changed our hedonic or our joy set point. It's more difficult to experience uh, any pleasure at all. We're more sensitive to pain. So we've changed our pain and pleasure threshold. We've now got a pleasure pain balance that's chronically tilted to the side of pain. And that's essentially the addicted brain. Right. So for so people on social media, in other words, for 30 minutes of TikTok used to be fun, but now you need an hour and a half or you need more or, or with alcohol, I would assume, that's the one you always think of addiction that, you know, uh, two glasses of wine used to make you happy and pleasurable, but then if you need a bottle of wine, is this, is the same thing? Right. So a couple of things here, both TikTok and alcohol are inherently addictive, but not everybody who drinks alcohol and not everybody who watches TikTok will get addicted to alcohol or TikTok, okay. right? Mm -hmm. So we all have our drug of choice. I'm yes. personally not vulnerable to alcohol, um, but I am very vulnerable to TikTok. So like your student, I've been on TikTok exactly one time. I was in a hotel room after a conference. It was on my laptop. I started watching uh, for whatever reason, you know, boredom, loneliness. Sure. Um, I, I watched a dance TikTok video and three hours later, I was still watching dance TikTok right. videos. So I, I knew then that TikTok is my drug of choice, um, along with romance novels and I can't watch those. So I haven't been on since and, and I won't go on because I know that I cannot control my consumption. That is so interesting, Dr. Anna. So you're saying that some people that maybe you said the drug of choice or whatever, like I've been on TikTok and I've seen it for a few times and enough with the puppy, you know, videos. And then right. I get sick of the puppy videos and I'm like, I'm onto something else and I get off TikTok. But you're saying so that you may be a person may be predisposed to this. And so it's good for you to understand that and set limits, or in your case, don't go on it. Yeah. And, and, and this explains why epidemiologically, we're seeing more and more people develop minor addictions, including people right. who were previously, we thought were relatively insulated to the problem of addiction, like women and like right. older people. Sure. Um, because now there are these lots of social media related drugs and a short visual a video is incredibly intoxicating for some brains. Um, and, and, and I think we're seeing repercussions of that now with a subset of, of individuals who really cannot moderate their consumption right. of these, this, this digital content. So it's like these short, um, videos and you're, it's like you, you got a hit and you want another one. Yep. And I'm going to ask you something because, you know, your professor here with uh, psychiatry, uh, did, did we do something wrong with, um, Sesame street? <laughs> we did all these little, yeah, when the cookie monster came on for 30 seconds and then Big Bird came on. I mean, did we start this early on in the game? Well, television is certainly the progenitor of TikTok, right? Or any really visual medium that we consume. You know, it, it, I mean, you could go back and you could say it started with plays and theater, right? And then it became televised and stories on television. Stories are inherently reinforcing right. that, you know 
reading stories releases dopamine in our brain. We, we like stories. Now you add music. Now you add a shorter yes. segment, right? That makes it more potent. It's like the difference between, you know, crack cocaine and, uh, drinking caffeinated beverage. Um, so the bottom line is that, that we've made all of this digital content incredibly potent, incredibly reinforcing. And so for vulnerable individuals, incredibly addictive. Right. And you had said something, uh, you know, in this book, it was just fascinating. And, and the, the, the risk of addiction is really associated with the ease of getting it. So right. when, you, when you said with the ease reader, you could just download and download and download. And then with social media, hello, you could jump from one platform to the other and be on it forever. So that's very, very interesting. So for someone that may be susceptible, the ease of getting it in social media 24 seven, right? Yeah, we don't, we often forget that simple access to our drug of choice is one of the major risk factors for getting addicted to that drug. If you live in a neighborhood where drugs are sold on the street corner, you're more likely to try them and more likely to get addicted. If you go to a doctor who's free with their prescription pad, when it comes to Adderall or opioids or benzos, you're more likely to get on that drug and more likely to get addicted. And if now you live in a world where internet access is 24 seven, wherever you go, um, you know we're all more vulnerable now to tech addiction. Right. And right. Amazing. Just, it was fascinating when, again, when I was listening to this book and I'm going to tell you the name of the book uh, is Dopa, Dopamine Nation and run to the bookstore and get it or download it on audiobooks or listen to it, what I did. It is just absolutely fascinating to, to, to uh, read or listen to this and really, really understand how, wow, this is a problem that you know a lot of us may have in different areas. The good news, here comes the good news, because I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I, I enough with Debbie Downer. You explain uh, uh, um, you know, how to reverse this. You, you say, put yourself on a dopamine fast, and you have a mnemonic for dopamine, D-O-P-A-M-I-N-E, to help you with this. And I thought I, I went through this. I said, this is really very interesting. So let's start with the D of dopamine, which is the data. And you suggest, you know, to go on this dopamine fast, if you're feeling like you're spending too much time doing something or consuming something, is to, um, the simple fact is to collect data. And what do you mean by that? I mean, just uh, write down or tell another human being exactly how much of your drug you're consuming. So when we think about the dopamine fast, it's not that you would give up all pleasures. What you want to do is identify that substance or behavior that you have a conflicted relationship with that you use more of and more often than you would like that's interfering with your goals and values or causing problems. Once you've identified that drug, then be really ruthlessly honest with yourself about how much you're using. You can do something called the timeline fallback method where you actually start from today and say, okay, how much did I use today? How much did I use yesterday, the day before, and go back a full week. So you can have a sense of how much you've used in a week. I'll give you an example from my life. My daughter who is uh, 20 came up to me about a month ago and said, mom, you're always on YouTube now. I said, always on YouTube. I don't think so. That's not true. She said, well, when I come up and see you a lot, you're on YouTube. I said, uh, okay, well, I don't think that's the case, but fine. And then she went away and I was sitting there slightly irritated. And I thought to myself, well, let's, let's add it up. 
And I did. And I said, okay, I've been on YouTube about an hour today. And I was probably on an hour yesterday and maybe two hours the day before. Anyway, when I added it all up, I had to admit I'd been on YouTube about 10 to 15 hours that week, which was much more than I would have thought if you had just said to me, how much YouTube do you do in a week? There's something that where we focus on each day and are really honest. And then it becomes real to us in a way that it's not when it's just pinging around in our unconscious. And this is the key thing when we're dealing with ourselves or with, with when I'm dealing with patients. We want patients to have an experience. And they have an experience when their consumption becomes real to them in a mm-hmm. way that it wasn't before they articulated it to themselves or another human being. And we're not talking fancy schmancy here. I mean, you can just get a calendar out and just yep. write every day, just yep. how many hours you're doing or consuming or what you're consuming or whatever. Exactly. So, so uh, you know, the data collection, the O in uh, dopamine is objectives for using. And, you know, when I, when I was get, listening to this is true. Why am I doing this? Why am I on TikTok? Why am I having, you know, uh, four glasses of wine at night? Why? Like, and so, you know, what is the objective? So you really have to be honest with yourself. Yeah. And also it just sort of validates, you know, the, the experience. A lot of times the objective for people to initiate using turns out to be something that the drug doesn't accomplish after a while, but they keep doing it. That's the weird and paradoxical piece. So Many people, you know, use to just sort of escape, to wind down, to help with anxiety, depression, to sleep, to have fun. There are many different reasons people use, but it's important to be vigilant. Okay. I have been using, let's say alcohol to Mm -hmm. calm down Mm -hmm. in the evening and help myself go to sleep. But is it really accomplishing that? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, is my sleep, do I get quality sleep? Is there maybe another way to get quality sleep? So to ask ourselves why we use, but also to be open about the possibility that the what started out as the why is not actually, it's not fulfilling that original promise. Right. Which goes for the P in dopamine is the problem related to this. You know, like what are the downsides of the behavior? You know, it's like you said, it was affecting your marriage. If, 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 if it your relationship, you know, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol at night, we know that, you, you, all right, that helps you go to sleep faster, but it disrupts your sleep. So you just wake up in the morning cranky and, and terrible. Right. And the same thing with, you know, too much social media. If you're not sleeping because you're up to three o'clock in the morning, you're going to, yeah, the next day you try to go to work or try to go to school or whatever, there is a problem. Yeah. And I think the subtler problem that's really hard to see until you do the dopamine fast is mm-hmm. the ways in which this chronic consumption of these highly reinforcing drugs and behaviors can actually make us depressed and anxious. And that is what you really see when you stop for a while and you mm-hmm. kind of then feel less depressed and anxious. Go, oh, wow. I thought this thing was making me feel better, but in an iterative fashion over the long run, it's actually making me feel worse. And that's your A, the dopamine, the abstinence, right? And you say you need to reestablish this homeostasis uh, because, you know, you you initially were doing it to get pleasure and that that initial thing isn't giving you pleasure. Now you have to do more of it. But you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta take a break from it. Now, this is the part, the M, the M in dopamine. This is like, a, you know, you call it mindfulness, but this is like, mm, to me, is that you have to stop the behavior, and you're suggesting like even minimum two weeks, but really a month, right? right. Is that what you say? Can you explain that? Because the, when you said the M in mindfulness, but I go, I go right to month. Really, it doesn't have to be a month. <laughs> That's a long time. Can I do February? Because February is a shorter month than March. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just yeah. trying to. So right, what about right. that? 
Well, here's the thing. People feel worse before they feel better. And it, and it takes on average about a month to reset reward pathways and, and return to baseline homeostasis. And if you do less than a month, you'll experience the pain of withdrawal and, but may not get to the place of homeostasis where you're experiencing the rewards of abstinence. So that's why if possible, I really recommend that people do a full month and know that they're going to feel worse before they feel better. But if they can make it to weeks three and four, they'll really get the benefits of homeostasis. And then they'll have a clearer sensorium in which to choose what they want to do going forward, whether they want to continue to abstain or whether they want to go back to using. Most people want to go back to using, but they want to use less. Um, They want to use differently. And so then it's a matter of thinking about how to do that. Yeah, you know, that kind of ties in the the mindfulness or the or the M for months. That's all I can't get out of my head. <laughs> is the I for dopamine, which is insight. But but you know, your abs, abstinence will give you insight. But Dr. Anna, though those first three, four days, maybe a week, well, I mean, how do you stay? I mean, that's hard to, that to, hard to do that. So what what are the tricks to do that? Couple of tricks. One is to do it together with somebody else. Okay. Um, so you're buddy not system. alone, buddy, buddy system, system mm-hmm. right? Another one is to be ruthlessly honest with yourself and others, which can itself be a deterrent because if you use, then you you have to tell another human being and there's shame associated with that. The other thing you can do is actually press intentionally, press on the pain side of the balance. So do things that are Hmm. more painful than the pain of withdrawal, which is the science of hormesis, which can actually then upregulate your own endogenous dopamine production and return you to homeostasis faster. This is things like exercise, ice cold water baths, intermittent fasting. So it's counterintuitive. Instead of doing the thing where you replace one reward with another reward, you replace one reward with something that's painful or harder than the pain of withdrawal. Interesting. So in other words, you look at my mind is like spinning now. Um, If if lifting weights, because I can't stand lifting weights, (laughs) that would be a good painful thing for me to do Mm -hmm. because I dislike doing that. That's right. Oh my goodness oh gracious. Okay, so something that you'll like. But but the, the beauty of that, Dr. Anna, you know, if I'm lifting weights for a month, you know, I may be looking pretty darn good at the end of the month. You know what I mean? I yeah. and I got I killed two for uh, the price of one there. Okay, after insight, which is the I, the N for dopamine stands for next steps. And you say that maybe you can return a little bit to TikTok or whatever. And so explain that. Well, I think when it comes to technology, we we, we none of us can, most of us cannot abstain altogether. That's so integrated into our lives right. now that it's impossible not to use the devices, not to be connected to the internet. So a moderation is a necessary part of the conversation. So now we have to learn how to, how to moderate, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I talk about self-binding strategies. That's putting literal and metacognitive barriers between ourselves and our drug of choice so that we can press the pause button between desire and consumption. That's things like deleting apps, or scheduling specific times in the day when I'm going to be on my device and not being on the device outside of those times, or scheduling, you know, having specific categories of um, social media that I allow myself to go on, maybe Facebook, but not Instagram, or maybe Instagram, but not TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's creating barriers, creating a world within a world that we're not constantly tempted to use and not relying on our willpower alone. Because if we rely on willpower alone, we're not going to win that battle. The physiologic drive to, you know, return to homeostasis is so overwhelming 
uh, that that if we have a- easy access to our drug, we will use our drug. I want to thank you for just saying that. Because thank you, good doctor. Because no, you said you just can't rely on willpower. Because people say I should be able to do this. I I, I should be able to you know get off TikTok or I should be able to stop after two glasses of wine or you know, stop smoking, whatever it is. And, and I'm thank you for saying that because then they feel bad that yeah. they can't do it. Mm-hmm. And they say, it's all my willpower and I have no willpower. And, you know, I can't do that. What you just said is very empowering. They say, okay, you know, don't leave it up to willpower. You know, just say you can't go on TikTok at a certain time or, you know, are there apps that shut down like social media that you can like say, okay, I'm, I'm only going to allow you the TikTok to be open, like just say a certain time of day. I don't know. Yeah. There are such I mean, there things. are parental controls. Oh um, yeah. There you go. Can, there you go. Yeah. Right. You could have somebody else do parental controls right. on, on right. your, on your right. device theoretically. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's also a, a, I think there's a lot of interest now, you know, among entrepreneurs to create um, ways to help us help ourselves when it comes to moderating this technology. So not just ways to, um, you know, limit our access to certain apps or to the internet, but actually to limit our access to the devices themselves. So ports or things that we would put the device in that we couldn't get it out for a certain period of time, unless there was some specific call from some, you know, someone in the family who was in crisis or something like that. So they're very clever things that people are coming up with now. Right. You know, and even I'm hearing this many times with families, they're saying, you walk in the door. You take off your shoes, don't walk in the door with dirty shoes and put the cell phone in the basket, Right. you know, in the hallway and that's it. And you're not getting it again until, you know, a certain amount of time, you know, maybe like after you do your homework or after you clean or whatever it is, that's very, very interesting. So, you know, uh, you know, that's that self-binding strategies where you kind of, you know, and that's going to help you. So, because again, don't feel bad. You don't have the willpower because right. it, it, you're, we're, you're all, we're all struggling. We're all struggling. Right, right. The salmon upstream here. Let's get some help here in doing that. Right. And the last one was the E in dopamine, which I think that you already said about is to go, you know, have a new dopamine like set point and, and try to moderate this level of, gee, I enjoy watching puppy YouTube videos, but you know, I got to shut it off. Don't go over it as such. Uh, Fascinating. Uh, The the whole thing is fascinating. And I, I, I can't thank you enough for writing this uh, book and for allowing me to, to, to read it and allowing us to listen to it, you know, all the technology you have, because there is a reason why we do this. And I think there's so much feeling negative feelings that why can't I control this? Mm-hmm. And then when you were, when you were very kindly said, it's not your fault because this mm-hmm. is what's happening in the body. You're like, Oh gosh, this is great. <laughs> and again, didn't I tell you she has a great voice. So I'm telling you, if you listen to the book on an audio book, she'll, she'll calm you down. So at the same time, so you'll get two for the price of one, that'd be great. But, um, Dr. Anna Lemke, this was just wonderful. Um, again, spot on listeners. Um, and also now uh, viewers who's going to be on YouTube. I'm going to put a copy of her book and a picture of her on the spot on Facebook page. And uh, very much go run, uh, go get it, listen to it, read it or whatever. But really, it is absolutely fascinating. So, so with that, Dr. Anna, I want to thank you for being on Spot On. Thank you for having me. 
Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?